Good morning, wherever you are, I want you to know uh, the Lord is there with you as much in the room that you are there, uh, as much as he is here with us in this room. My name is Trent, and uh, I hope that you are already a vital part of Gospel City Church. If you're not, we'd love for you to be a part. And just the fact that you are viewing today makes you part of the congregation today. And uh, you may be there alone, you may be there with your family, you may be wrestling kids to the ground. Uh, you're looking at a two-dimensional version of me. And yet, what we are trying to do in this moment right now is create the gathering that is Gospel City Church. Live streaming is not a substitute for church. We are looking forward to the next time we can gather together, everybody together in the same room. And uh, I was having these visions today of a much older version of me, Grandpa Trent. Uh, gathering all of his uh, little grandchildren around with the words, let me tell you what it was like back in the old days. You see, we used to have these gatherings, these large crowds of people that would come together and worship Jesus. We built these huge stadiums where you could come and cram thousands of people in to, to watch the same event or to, to enjoy a concert together. Back in the olden days, well, I hope uh, very soon we will be able to gather together. Do you remember the last time that you were in a crowd? Do you remember a few weeks ago when maybe you were there with hundreds of people or thousands of people? Um, right before this whole thing shut us down, um, my, my family and I, we were enjoying some time uh, on a sabbatical that the church had graciously allowed us to take. And, and there was a couple of weeks time where we just did everything we could possibly do. Um, Andrew and I were on a boat with about 5,000 people. And uh, we got off that boat on the same day I raced to the day Daytona 500, surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people, and uh, the, rain, the race was rained out. So the next day I went back, surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people. A couple of days later, we went to Universal Studios, big uh, 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 theme park there. The next day we went to Disney. Uh, the day after that, we went to an Orlando Magic basketball game. The day after that, we went to a Bible museum. The next day we went to the mall and enjoyed uh, P.F. Chang's meal to celebrate my wife's birthday. And then a couple of days later, we were told you're not allowed to do anything like that. And here we are uh, in this season where we are not allowed to gather. Do you remember the last time you could gather? Now, as we jump into the scripture here today, let me invite you to open your Bible. You're going to need your Bible this morning. Get a Bible open to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to find out about a man who was lost in a crowd, a very famous man that uh, we're going to discover here in just a moment. But uh, today we're also jumping into a brand new series that's going to take us through the next part of uh, Luke. Uh, for about a year and a half, we've been marching verse by verse through the gospel of Luke. And uh, we're going to jump right back into it. And uh, let me tell you the reason we're going to do that is because in these days, in days of crisis, there is a flood of information coming at us. We might even say that there's, uh, that, that our minds are crowded with information. We are drowning in information and yet we're starving for wisdom. And during these days, I do not want you to be distracted from the most important things, the penultimate things. Ultimately, who is Jesus Christ? 
and what is he doing in your life personally? So I don't know how many Zoom calls you've been on. I don't know how much uh, frustration there has been in your life. I don't know what kind of fears and anxieties have crowded your mind this week. I want to encourage you to climb above all of that here for the next few minutes and let's allow the Spirit of God from the Word of God to do a work of God in our hearts. The series that we're diving into, we've entitled Divine Deconstruction. And that's really what is happening. What is this work of divine deconstruction that God is doing? Let me give you a definition of what that is. Divine deconstruction is the work of God that prepares me to take my next step following Jesus. The theme for our church this year is take a step. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. You just continually can take the next step in following Jesus. And yet during this season, it is possible that there are so many things crowding your mind that you are failing to properly see who Jesus is. Let me give you the big idea of the sermon here this morning. It is this, until God deconstructs a crowded heart, I will have trouble seeing who Jesus is. And so I don't know what kind of crowds, crowds of worry, anxiety, fear, or maybe just crowds of information and distraction, I don't know what is crowding out your view of Jesus today, but I want to encourage you from the story that we're about to read to get above it all. We're going to be introduced to a man that had to climb out of the crowd to see Jesus. So uh, let's take a look at who this guy was, and you're going to recognize his name very prominently here as we get started. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. So, as we know, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It will be his final trip into Jerusalem. Uh, he had done this every year, multiple times a year. As a, a young Jewish boy, he started the journey to celebrate and worship there in, in Jerusalem. This was his final week of his life entering into Jerusalem, and he comes through Jericho, the final leg up into uh, Jerusalem, and he passes by this man named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is a very um, famous guy in the scripture. You may have been introduced to him at a very small age because one of the top 10 all-time Christian songs ever written is about Zacchaeus for sure. In our family, um, uh, our second child, we named Zachary. And Brooke, his older sister, as a two-year-old, as Zach came into her life, she began to call him Zacharias, because she had learned the song in church, and she would often 
call Zach Zacharias. So we thought that was really cute. And uh, we love Zacchaeus in our family. We like Zacharias in our family even more. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? The scripture tells us, first of all, he was a very powerful man. He was the chief tax collector. Now, don't you love tax collectors? Aren't you very fond of the IRS during um, this season? Um, I don't know about you. This is a really weird time in our country where uh, our government is actually sending back to us part of the taxes we've already paid uh, to uh, the government. And uh, I don't know about you. I got a check from the government, free money that was sent back to me. It landed in my bank account on April the 15th, which I thought was super ironic, but I love that. And uh, maybe you have even uh, begun to receive some of those payments from the government, it's a good question to ask. What does God want me to do with his money that he entrusted into my bank account? Always a good question. Uh, no matter how much money's in there, no matter what your income is, God, what do you want me to do with your money? But uh, Zacchaeus had a lot of money. The Bible says that he was rich. The reason he was rich is because a tax collector was a private contractor that the Roman government used to collect money from the the Jewish people uh, over whom uh, they were uh, placed in charge. And so the Roman government was cruel and oppressive to the Jewish people. And what they would do is they would hire Jewish tax collectors to receive taxes from these Jewish people. So Zacchaeus was caught in between. He had a lot of money, but he didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, the Jews didn't like him because he was employed by the Romans. The Romans didn't like him because he was a Jew. So he had a lot of money, but not a lot of friends. Another thing that we know about Zacchaeus is that he was curious. The scripture says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now remember, the physician, Dr. Luke, is writing this biography of Jesus to a rich man named Theophilus. And as he's writing... He wants to introduce this rich man to who Jesus was. So it's not a shock that he would include a story about a rich man who was seeking to know who Jesus was. Now it's interesting, Jesus introduces us to a lot of rich men in the Bible. The previous two men that Luke introduces us to, uh, he doesn't give us a very favorable picture of them. Um, he introduces us to the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was in heaven. The rich man was in hell. He introduces us to a guy that we know is the rich young ruler. And Jesus said to him how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And yet he is about to introduce us to a rich man who found a way to enter into the kingdom of God. And he wants his friend Theophilus to know how to enter into the kingdom of God. So he includes the story here of Zacchaeus. We also know that Zacchaeus was like me and Micah. He was a wee little man. He was a short man. Now, do you know, if you are a tall person, um, crowds are not a big deal to you. But if you are a wee little man, crowds can get in the way of your line of sight. It's hard to see. And Zacchaeus was lost in this crowd of people. He couldn't properly see Jesus because he was a wee little man. And the Bible actually tells us that Jesus 
In verse 10, it tells us later on, we'll read it here in a minute, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And as much as we know that Jesus, as, as much as we know that Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, we know that even more, Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus because he was lost. Now, now I don't know when the last time you were lost, it's very hard to get lost in our modern day of all this technology. We all carry around uh, maps and GPS devices to tell us exactly where we are and how, exactly how to get where we are trying to go. Uh, when, when Jesus says that Zacchaeus was lost, it's not like he just needed some good directions so he could find his way home. No, lost in the sense that he is ruined. Lost in the sense that he was in a place like Oklahoma, and you're out of range of a cell phone signal, and your battery on your phone is dead anyway, and you're out of gas, and there's a tornado bearing down on you. That's the kind of lost that he's talking about, a spiritual lostness, and a distance from God that you cannot overcome. And the only way to overcome the distance is that God would send a search and rescue team to find you and bring you home. That's the kind of lost that Zacchaeus was. And not only was he lost, he was determined. He wasn't content just to stay in the crowd. He, he could have used a lot of excuses that day. He could, he could have said, you know, if, if God wanted me to see Jesus, he would have made me taller. Um, if God wanted me to meet Jesus, he would dispense of the crowd. And yet, Zacchaeus was so determined he wasn't going to let the crowd keep him from seeing Jesus. And so you know what he did. He went on ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree. He got above the crowds because he had a desperation to see Jesus. Now, what's the application of all of this for you and me today? The, the application is so clear. Do you understand the world is filled with crowds that will keep you from seeing Jesus? You say, what kinds of crowds? Well, maybe the same kinds of crowds that were crowding Zacchaeus' life. Maybe it's the crowd of wealth and prosperity. Maybe your life is crowded with a lot of good stuff. Maybe so much good stuff, it's crowded your view of Jesus. Maybe you have too much money or too much prominence or too much popularity to actually get a good view of Jesus. Maybe your life is crowded with work, career ambitions. Maybe your life as a young person is crowded with school and homework and e-learning and testing and papers. Maybe there's a crowd of information or a crowd of entertainment. Um, so many things available to us through our devices and Netflix options and social media apps that actually can crowd out our view of Jesus. Maybe your life is crowded with excuses. 
for why you're not closer to God. Maybe you look back at your past and maybe you see all kinds of hurt and pain and broken relationships, maybe poor choices and shame. And all of those things are creating distance between you and Jesus. Maybe your life is crowded with religious activity. Maybe there's too much tradition. Maybe there's too much family pressure for you to actually get a good view of who Jesus is. Well, one of the things that God does for us is dismantles the crowds. And it's easy to see how he's done that physically in our culture today when we can't meet in crowds. And yet it seems like the crowds have been replaced by other forms of crowds and worries and fears and anxieties and, and activity and, and just stuff that gets in the way. The story of Zacchaeus is to help us to understand we're all lost in the crowd and we must be determined to climb above it all to know who Jesus is. So let me ask you this question. What crowds are keeping you from clearly seeing Jesus? Let me encourage you, even in this season, do whatever it takes to climb out of the crowd. What is going to be your sycamore tree during these days? What is it that's going to allow you to get above all the circumstances that are going on, all the chaos and the commotion that's going on in your life right now? Zacchaeus had a sycamore tree. Maybe for you, that's just simply a quiet place for you to get your Bible open, to get your mind clear, to express your heart to God. Maybe your, your, your sycamore tree is a good conversation with somebody who clearly sees who Jesus is. Maybe you need to reach out to a pastor or a small group leader and just, just get open and say, my life is so crowded. Can you help me see who Jesus is? But if your heart is determined to see Jesus, the story of Zacchaeus assures us that Jesus is very willing to make himself known to you. Let your curiosity drive you to the place where you can clearly see Jesus. Here's the second thing we're going to learn from Zacchaeus' life. Not only was he lost in the crowd, he was sought out of the crowd. Look here in verse 5. It says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Interestingly, he already knew his name. I don't know if that was uh, divine inspiration that Jesus had because Jesus knew everyone, or maybe Zacchaeus had actually tried to collect taxes from Jesus in the past, but he knew who Jesus was. He knew who Zacchaeus was as soon as he saw him in the tree. And Jesus says to him, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So Jesus gives Zacchaeus an invitation to draw near, to come close. If you really want to see who I am, it's not enough just to be in the crowd around Jesus. It's not enough just to get a good view of Jesus up in the tree. 
you've got to respond to the invitation of Jesus to come close. And notice what Jesus said. He said, you need to hurry. In other words, your window of opportunity is about to close. If Zacchaeus had not responded to the invitation of Jesus in that moment, there was no assurance that he would never have another opportunity to come to Jesus. The same is true for you and me. My heart daily needs to respond to the invitation to come close, to come down out of the place of comfort. You know, Zacchaeus had a choice. He said, you've got to come down. Maybe Zacchaeus found that tree really comfortable and maybe you're in a really comfortable spot. Are you willing to come down and to actually become a little lower? Do you understand that until you and I become a wee little man, we will never see properly how great and awesome and massive Jesus is in our lives. As long as you want to remain prominent and in a comfortable place, in high, exalted positions of leadership, you'll never properly see who Jesus is. Until you become like Jesus, until you become like Zacchaeus, a wee little man, you will never encounter Jesus for who he really is. So he tells him, come down. And then he says this, I must come to your house today. Now, let me ask you a question. If, if I or Tyler Holder or anybody else said, I'm coming to your house right now. We invited ourselves to your house. Um, how quickly would you throw open the door right now? I mean, I don't even know if you're dressed right now. You're in your pajamas, your hair fixed, you got any makeup on. Um, I'm not sure what the living room looks like. Or you, would you have to like throw some stuff in a closet? Uh, Jesus said, I'm coming over. Zacchaeus didn't have a chance to clean up. Zacchaeus didn't have a chance to give a better appearance of himself than he actually was. You see, when Jesus says, hurry, come down, I'm coming in, receiving him as Zacchaeus did joyfully, it involves giving Jesus full access to every private place in my life. Receiving Jesus is not just adding him to the junk drawer of everything else you've got going on in your overly crowded life. It is giving him access to clean out the junk drawer. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus did. It's exactly what Jesus invites himself into our private places to do. We've got to give him full access to every crevice, every private place of our lives. Thirdly, not only was Zacchaeus lost in the crowd, not only did Jesus seek him out of the crowd, thirdly, he saved him despite the crowd. Notice here in verse 7, it says, when they saw it, they all 
grumbled, saying, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into this house since he also is a son of Abraham. So as soon as Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully, those who were in the crowd found a reason to complain. And it is still true today. Whenever Jesus is at work transforming and changing lives, it is amazing how many self-righteous, religious, Bible fatheads will find a reason to complain. Grumpy people, highly critical people, self-righteous people who think that somehow godliness is measured by the distance that we can create from sinful people. They're the grumpy people. They're the complaining people. Listen, godliness is not measured by the distance you create between yourself and sinners. Godliness is measured by the distance you create between yourself and sin. But if you're a follower of Jesus, godliness is also measured by how much distance you can bridge between yourself and sinners to come close, to move toward those who need Jesus. So Zacchaeus, it tells us, stood, verse eight. The word stood there, it's an amazing word. It says Zacchaeus stood. That doesn't just mean he came out of his seat. It means he took his stand with Jesus. He turned his back on the crowd, turned his face toward Jesus, and he took his stand. Anybody who's going to follow Jesus is going to be confronted with grumpy, complaining people who will try to stop them. And they're usually people that think they're self-righteous on their own. You don't need to follow Jesus. You don't need to be so radical. You need to give him access to your entire house. No, you just kind of need to stay in the crowd. And yet Zacchaeus took his stand. I want to encourage you. Take your stand with Jesus, even if it makes you less rich, even if it makes you less popular. Take a stand for Jesus. All followers of Jesus are going to face opposition. And it tells us that Jesus radically transformed his life. Notice it says that Zacchaeus said, half of all I have, I give to the poor. That's how a rich man enters the kingdom of heaven. He loosens his grip on the things that have had a grip on his heart. He willingly sees need and invests himself in those who are disadvantaged. It's the transformation of a heart, understanding that Jesus one day, in just a few days in this context, is going to give himself, all of himself, for sinners like Zacchaeus. And somehow understanding that 
Zacchaeus said, I want to be a giver as well. Not only that, he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. You see, that's what he did with the other half. He gave the first half to the poor and he used the other half to make restitution for people that he had wronged. It's a radical transformation in the heart of someone who receives Jesus joyfully. Let me ask you a question. Is your conscience plagued by the thoughts of people that you have wronged, mistreated, defrauded, stolen from, slandered, gossiped, hurt in any way? Jesus immediately in the conscience of Zacchaeus brought those people to mind. And Zacchaeus started making a list of people that he was gonna go back to. Now, do you know how long Zacchaeus' list must have been? You see, a tax collector was willing to extort from those who paid taxes, not only the tax that was due, but anything else he could force out of them. He could pocket that. And so it's likely that Zacchaeus went on a months long journey back to people that he had stolen from and made restitution and then four times what he had extracted from them. Do you understand that a lost world will begin to believe us when we take seriously the sin in our own heart to go back and to seek forgiveness and to make restitution for our own sin and how we've damaged others. That's what Zacchaeus did and that is what we do to clear our conscience from a heart that's been radically transformed by Jesus. And then Jesus makes this statement. He's so overwhelmed with the transformation that's taken place in Zacchaeus' life. This is what he says. He says, today salvation has come to your house. Think about those two words, today, salvation. It tells us salvation has a day. Do you have a day of salvation that is marked by this receiving of Jesus, hurrying, coming down, receiving Jesus joyfully from wherever you were, from whatever you were following, turning your back on that crowd and following Jesus. Our salvation takes place on a day. Now, you don't have to know the exact day and the exact hour, but there's gotta be a day. If there's not a salvation day, there has been no salvation. And if right now you're troubled in thinking, I don't really know, I just think maybe I kind of always just kind of was or I just kind of gradually happened to somehow by osmosis kind of sort of believe Jesus and maybe I've got a salvation. Listen, if you are not absolutely 100% confident there has been a day of salvation, how about today? And let today be the day that you hurry you come down, you receive Jesus joyfully. 
even for those of us that are Christians, and you can identify a day. It's amazing how many Christians I meet, when they think about salvation, they think about salvation yesterday. They think about going to a camp or maybe it was vacation Bible school or maybe mom and dad came into my bedroom and I knelt and I received Jesus as I prayed and confessed my sin. They think about that experience of salvation happening a decade ago or three decades ago. Most of us have a pretty good grasp of salvation yesterday. Uh, and most Christians have a really good concept of salvation tomorrow. We think about that day when I'll die and I'll go to heaven and I'll be with Jesus and no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears. And boy, won't it be a great day in heaven, salvation out there somewhere tomorrow. But here's the question that Jesus confronts us with this morning. What about salvation today. How is your salvation transforming you today? If the last time salvation transformed you was a decade ago or even a week ago, you are missing out on the work of God that he wants to do in you today. Today, salvation has come to your house. How is your salvation transforming your house, your home, your relationships, your relationships to money, your relationships to the coronavirus for crying out loud? Salvation is not something that happened yesterday. It's not something that happens tomorrow. Salvation is happening today as the work of God continues to transform my heart. And if your salvation is not working for you today, you have every reason to question whether or not there has been a salvation yesterday or whether there will be a salvation tomorrow. Today, salvation has come to your house as it's still operating in you today. Here's the last thing we're gonna see. Not only lost in the crowd, not only sought out of the crowd, not only saved despite the crowd, but sent to the crowd. Last verse here, Jesus makes an incredible statement. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The whole narrative, the whole story of Zacchaeus was recorded in his gospel to set up that statement, to teach us who Jesus is. That's, that's who Zacchaeus wanted to know. Who is this Jesus? Verse 10 tells us, Jesus is the seeker and the savior of those who will admit they are lost. Not just that they need some directions so they can figure out how to get home. They are so far from God that unless Jesus seeks, they will never be saved. And for those of us who come down and hurry and receive Jesus, do you know what we become? We become those who are on mission with Jesus to seek and to save those in the crowd who are still lost. We are on mission with Jesus and taking a step doesn't just mean we take a step toward him, it means we take a step with him back into the crowd. He saves us out of the crowd 
and then he sends us back into the crowd. My question to you today, church, listen, who do you know who's lost? Who do you know that's far from God? Who do you know right now whose mind is so crowded with entertainment and wealth and popularity or fear and anxiety? Will you go on mission with Jesus into the crowd to partner with him, to seek and to save those who are lost? It's what we mean when we say we are live, we are to live sent. That means that as we go, as we interact with others, our mission ultimately is to seek and to save those who are lost. That's the transformation that Jesus wants to do in our heart today. It's part of what it means to have a today salvation. Let me invite you just to bow your heads, close your eyes. Don't check out on me right now. Let the Spirit of God continue maybe to do a work of divine deconstruction in your own heart. Maybe he needs to deconstruct the fear of having a conversation with somebody that is beyond whatever's on the news this week to give them the good news of Jesus, which is eternal. Maybe he needs to deconstruct a proud heart so that you can get to the place where you understand, like all of us, you're just a wee little man that is in need of a savior. Maybe you today, like Zacchaeus, need to take your stand. Turn your back on the crowds. Allow Jesus into the private places, not only of your house, but your heart. You can do that as you respond to him in prayer right now. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for seeking me in the crowd. I want a clear view of who you are. And today, like Zacchaeus, I, I choose to come down, to hurry, to receive you joyfully as Savior. For those of you that you, you can mark a day of salvation. Maybe you just need to say to the Lord, Jesus, I want my salvation to continually transform my heart today. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to climb out of the crowd, to get a view of you. I pray that your spirit would continue to work in your church scattered right now and yet unified around the lordship that Jesus is exalted above all, above all crowds. And Father, by your spirit, move us forward. Change our identities. Thank you for calling us, for transforming us. 
and making us your children, no matter what anybody says, no matter what the opposition is, we will choose to be identified by who you say we are. We pray in Jesus' name.